Welcome to our special series on Black Lives Matter. Black Lives Matter was founded in 2013 in response to the acquittal of Trayvon Martin's murderer, and the movement has recently seen worldwide protests in response to the death of George Floyd. In this series, we meet Caribbean medical students from various schools and discuss their involvement with the movement and tips for how to address racial inequalities as a medical student. Hello from the sunny beaches of St. Kitts and Nevis. Welcome to Dextrocardia, your one-stop shop podcast for everything related to life as a Caribbean medical student. I'm your host, Nihal Satyadev, a second-year medical student at the University of Medicine and Health Sciences. Disclaimer, the opinions expressed by guests of this podcast do not reflect the opinions or views of any institution or professional organization. Now, let's dive in. So welcome to another episode of the Black Lives Matter series. Today we have with us Felix Toussaint. And uh, Felix uh, has been working on the movement uh, from the American University of the Caribbean. Felix, uh, welcome to the podcast. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Thank you for having me. Thank you for having me. My name is Felix Toussaint, as you have just mentioned. I am in my third semester at American University uh, School, of the, School of Medicine in St. Martin. Um, prior to medical school, I uh, was an undergrad. I went to Auburn University at Montgomery in Montgomery, Alabama, currently in New Jersey, I'm currently doing all my studies remote. Um, interests are um, neurosurgery at now. Um, yeah. Very cool. So tell us a little bit about how you got involved in medicine, what drew you to the field, and tell us about some of uh, the passions which, uh, which, you are, which you have outside of medicine. So my passion, my passion is people, um, to, to be put simply. Um, I care about people. I care about people be, being treated fairly. I care about um, everybody um, getting the justice that they deserve, whether that be in healthcare, whether that be in law, whether that just um, um, be wherever. I think everybody does have basic human rights and I think that those should be upheld by everyone. Um, some things I do like, um, I'm, I'm a Christian. I really enjoy reading my Bible. Like I'm, I'm learning a lot from that. And um, oddly enough, I've, I've begun reading it even more now because of um, Twitter. So I've, I've come to learn a lot about um, black history, African-American history from Twitter that I didn't learn in school and there are books and I just never picked them up. And now when I'm reading the Bible, I'm beginning to see a lot of things that they do say in the Bible. So like, I'm really huge on that now. I really like music. All kinds of music is very calming, very soothing. I like, um, and I like, I like fashion. Like I'm really close to New York and like, it's, it's like the fashion epicenter of at least the United States. Um, I would say the second in the world, only behind Paris. Yeah, so I love that you have so many different uh, different passions. Really cool to be well-rounded. But it also sounds like your underlying love of people uh, truly aligns with what this movement is all about, right? So would love to hear a little bit about how you first got involved with the Black Lives Matter movement and what was the moment or maybe moments leading up to when you felt, okay, now is the time to definitely stand up. 
So with that question, I think one thing to definitely note is um, this has definitely always been going on. Um, and everybody is a part of the movement, whether directly, indirectly, whether you're silent, to be silent is to answer in silence or um, to actually be speaking out to using your social media platform to um, to whatever you do. So me, I, I try my best to use my actions. Um, so with everything being remote, I'm notorious for having Zoom backgrounds with um, Black Lives Matter or um, something of that nature. Um, because I, I feel like it's important and I, I hate that we have to um, basically inform everybody that our lives matter. Um, to me, it's like you're a human being. I'm going to treat you like a human being. I'm not going to treat you differently because of your skin color. But um, it's, it happens and it's, it's sad. Um, one, one little side note, one of my friends in medical school, she... Um, so I was the director of um, wellness, the student, the student wellness committee at my at American University of the Caribbean School of Medicine. And one student messaged me um, saying she was feeling down right before exams. And she shared, um, she's African-American student and she shared with me that she should go work at a funeral home because her main goal of going into medicine was to take care of the people that look like her, but more of us are dying rather than going to seek treatment. And that really, that really hurt me to feel, to see that, you know, we're not being, um, we don't matter to them. And it's, it's really sad, but I digress. That, that was um, not part of your question, but um, stuff no, like mean, that, it, it really hurts. That, I mean, it's not a singular question, right? I mean, it's, it's a series of events in our lives, which draws to this and, I think what you alluded to there is a really important thing that uh, at this moment with this movement, uh, but also historically, the role of black medical students, of black doctors is quite different than non-minority doctors. And I think like your friend said, I have some black friends who really went into medicine for the purposes of the fact that black doctors are underrepresented and there's not enough black doctors to serve black communities. Um, so tell us a little bit about the kind of racial disparities uh, you see in healthcare, uh, both you know, as a medical student and as a physician to be. So um, anybody can take a look online, look at your MCAT book, um, look, uh, just go to the hospital and you can see a lot of the disparities going on. Look at, look at the coronavirus and look at how it's um, disproportionately um, affecting um, black individuals. And it's, it's, really, it's really saddening and disheartening um, because of the fact that it's not getting as much attention as it needs to get. And it, in my opinion, and in the opinion of many others, it's a public health crisis. In, in, so, in so many ways. Um, we all know the studies of how um, African-American, Black, um, colored women, they are not given the same amount of um, pain treatment or the, um, pain medicine when, when they have children, um, even with Serena Williams. Um, if, if you don't know that story, I would, I would welcome you to look at that story, how Serena Williams wasn't taken seriously, how a lot of us, we do not go to the doctor um, because our moms didn't go to the doctor and our mom's moms didn't go to the doctor because they didn't feel safe. So that's what was um, taught 
to us. And it's really, we have to really change that narrative, but it, it can't just be black people and um, black individuals trying to change that narrative. It's gotta be everybody. Um, those in medicine, those, whether you're in a US medical school, DL medical school, Caribbean medical school, if you're going to take care of individuals, I think, I think it's our um, plight to um, keep those patients in mind and, and be intentional when it comes to, to treating them because this is something that um, has been going on for generations. Um, perfect example doesn't have to do with medicine, but um, when I, I watched this, I watched this episode. I don't remember the name of the TV show, but it was talking about how black um, black people can't swim. But if you look at it historically, my I would say my grandparents, individuals my grandparents' age that are that are um, black, they weren't allowed to get into swimming pools. Swimming pools were segregated. So that's what they taught their kids. They taught their kids that, hey, we're not going to go to, there's no need for us to go to the pool because we're not allowed to go to the pool. And now it's coming to us where, okay, now I don't know how to swim or things of that nature. So it's really, it's really got to be something we all have to fix. And it can't be just black students. It can't just be black medical students. It can't just be um, people of color that's, that's fighting for it because number one, it's tiring. So I think one of the really important things you're alluding to here is the power of knowing history, right? And so within medicine, uh, obviously the most common experiment which we learn about or should know about is the Tuskegee experiment that bears a lot of importance in terms of how poorly medical ethics were handed to uh, Black Americans. Uh, But along those lines, do you have other examples that our listeners would benefit on doing further research into. I know you gave Serena Williams as an example, but also whether it's specific examples in medical history that have led to racial disparities or specific sources where people can go to to learn more uh, and kind of get to the point of know thy history, know thyself. Okay, I think that's a very good question, by the way. And one thing I would um, say is, Definitely, Google has been the ma- ma- most magnificent resource, and of course, you you want to verify that it's it's um, an established resource, and you don't just want to get anything from there. But there's a lot of books. Um, there's there's this Twitter movement that's um, called hashtag Black in the Ivory, and it talks about a lot of what um, we had to go through, um, you know, to to make it. Um, what what we've been called the microaggressions, the implicit biases, and things of that nature. So there's there's a lot of books out there, and don't be afraid to have those um, uncomfortable conversations because we we feel as though our lives don't matter, and it's being proven day in and day out. Yeah, I think what you're essentially alluding to is the fact that there's no excuse to not be educated in today's today's day and age. Uh, The fact that Google exists, it's a matter of typing in a few key words to get a number of resources to better understand the disparities that Black uh, individuals face, that Black patients face, that Black doctors face. And I think it's really uh, a, a good time to go ahead and start getting educated. And the reason I'm saying that is because 10 years ago was a good time to start getting educated. 20 years ago was a good time to start getting educated. Uh, And 
if you're going into medicine, it's very important to kind of understand the fact that treating people from different cultures and backgrounds is not always the same. So let's talk a little bit more about what you're doing right now in medical school to uh, move the Black Lives Matter movement forward. So I started a lot of things, um, both online, both in medical school, things of that nature. We've got the Black Medical Student Association, the BMSA at, at my university. But to note that, you know, us being in the classroom, right, that's really our form of protest. It's really our form of protest for our future patients. We can do really, you can, we can do so much more for our patients, and that's not to um, that's not to subtract from the individuals that are protesting in the street. I thank them, um, but the way it was um, brought up to us was we 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 need to do these for our future patients. We need to do well in the classroom for our future patients. They need us, and those health um, deserts like. There's nobody there. Nobody wants to practice there. We do. So we have to really put in the work in the classroom. And our, our motto is our, the classroom is our protest. This white coat is our protest. And this, is, this isn't something that we just started. This has been something our ancestors have started, right? We, we want to change what the walls look like when you go into these um, prominent institutions. There's, there's not that many people that look like us on those walls, okay? And um, a famous saying was, you can't be what you can't see. So if they don't even see us on the walls, if they don't see us anywhere, but um, you Google search and you see you see jail cells come in and African Americans, that's saddening. That's saddening and disheartening. So I think it's important to, for medical students to know that you being in the classroom and doing the best that you can do, that is your protest. Yeah, I think one of the early shocking things that I learned in public health was how much your zip code determines your health. And it's very, it's a huge disparity between even zip codes that can be three, four miles apart. We're looking at average life expectancies that can be up to 10 years apart. And so I think having the physician mindset and having that goal of giving back to your community uh, or even for physicians who are coming up the ranks of any background right now serving in a health desert serving in a area that doesn't have traditional access to healthcare resources i think is a very very uh, powerful way of powerful form of full-time service so let's talk a little bit more about what you were talking about earlier which is the fact that it's not only about black medical students and black doctors doing things, right? It's also about allyship. So what does allyship mean to you? How can people be better allies for uh, racial, racial equality in healthcare? So that's another phenomenal question. So on Twitter, um, there's a lot of physicians, black physicians, um, black, um, healthcare leaders and they would write that it wasn't until now where their bosses you know wanted to hear them out and how bosses wanted to um have discussions and create task forces and then all of that is just put, thrown to them and that goes back to the 
you know, use Google. Like, you, be a good human being. Like, it, it doesn't take anything for me to go, hey, how are you doing today? How's everything going? Every, everybody is going through something, but just imagine you having to wake up and see somebody look like you have a knee on their neck for eight minutes and 46 seconds and no one do anything about it. Just imagine you um, getting murdered and, and nothing has still come of it. Like Breonna Taylor, there's still no justice for Breonna Taylor. So imagine that. So it's, 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 really, it's really things like that for, for people to basically educate themselves. And once you, get, once you educate yourselves, don't just sit there and not do anything. Like when, when individuals on Black Tuesday, they, they posted a, um, the, the, the black box, so, so, so to call it, um, and, and they thought that was it. Um, Brian Stevenson, one of my favorite um, civil rights leaders, he um made he mentioned something about social media and how you you can't you, you can't just make a post on social media and think that it's it's enough you have to get proximal to the suffering that's the only way that you'll truly understand um you you have to ask the questions you have to you have to um like i said before have those uncomfortable conversations and things of that nature or it, it'll just be you doing um senseless nothings so a lot of our listeners may not know who uh, Stevenson is. So tell us a little bit more about the work he's done and why you find it inspiring. Brian Stevenson is just an all around great individual. He had a uh, series on or a uh, documentary on HBO that talked about himself and um, all of the work that he's doing. He uh, has the Lynch Museum where he would go to sites where individuals were lynched and um, he, would, he would pick up the soil from where they were lynched and he would um, basically make them a memorial in Montgomery, Alabama. He's, um, I would say he's, he's the modern, one of the modern day civil rights leaders um, that we have today. He, sa- he says a lot, but one thing that really hits me is you know, our justice system treats you better if you're rich and guilty than if you're poor and innocent. Obviously, progress is going to be decades in the making. And as of the time of this recording, we're now a, um, I would say a month plus a little bit from uh, the George Floyd incident. So in in the recent past, what sort of advancements gives you uh, gives you hope? That's a good question. Um, it's sad that we have to say justice gives us hope. It's sad that w- w- we take one step in the right direction after um, them pushing us 150 steps back um, for, the, for that to be hope. Um, yes, it's, it's, it's nice that uh, they were arrested. Um, but I'm beginning to see a lot of similarities to the to the LA 92 riots, where they're trying to change the venue of where it is, and and things of that nature for the police officers because they won't get a fair trial. Well, many black individuals can argue that they've never had a fair life, so for them to want to move the trial, I I don't think I don't think it's hope because George Zimmerman was arrested but never convicted. Um, and that was just a slap in our face. Um, it's been it's been countless countless days since Breonna Taylor 
was murdered for no knock warrant and and nothing has come of it yeah it's it's nice that somebody is doing their job and arresting the people who are supposed are were meant to protect us but that's their job so yeah. if if your job as a surgeon is to perform that surgery you're going to perform the surgery we haven't gotten the conviction um there are countless other names that we do not even know yeah um and 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 i would say i would say also it's it, it, it is difficult right because what you're asking for is and what the movement's asking for is not to get special recommendations it's to reach a plane of equality and uh i mean equality first but in an ideal world equity um, and that distinction is a whole nother podcast. But, you know, given some of the things that you said, what would define success to you of the Black Lives Matter movement? I would, I would even go a step further and say liberation. I think that is, that is the most important thing. Um, the fact that um, Colin Kaepernick stood up, let me rephrase that. He had the most peaceful form of protest in the history of protest. He did not say a word and he took a knee. He didn't stand up. He, he stood up by taking a knee. Yeah. And now he's basically blackballed, not basically, he's blackballed from every single NFL team for standing up for him and his people. So it's, it's just, it's things like that that make you look like do I want to speak up? Do I want to make that post on Twitter? Do I want to? You begin to hold hold in and and not want to share things because of what you see of what happens when people do speak up or when people do stand up for another and um, things of that nature. And for those of us who are standing up, it's tiring, right? It's I would say any student or any ally or any. Um, black individual that's standing up for themselves, I would say that they definitely need to take care of themselves because it, it's not going to take a day. It's not going to be, be fixed tomorrow. It's not going to be fixed next week. It's going to take, uh, it's going to take a long time, uh, not by our, our own doing, but definitely take care of yourself. It is definitely a long process, but we appreciate you sharing your thoughts, your advice for students to do better be better and be better informed and act more appropriately to these very important issues. Well, we really appreciate uh, your time here with us, Felix, and I'm sure our listeners do too. Thank you so much for uh, joining Dextrocardia. If any of the listeners have any suggestions for future episode topics or other questions to ask about the Black Lives Matter movement, please do go ahead and reach out to us at dextrocardia.podcast at gmail.com.